Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. That's something I've never experienced before. Um, game seven, game winning shot. So it was, um, you, know, you know, a blessing to just be able to, you know, get get to that point and make that shot and feel that moment. And it's something, um, you know, I could look back on in my career. I'm a guy that acts like I've been there before. So probably last time you probably see me scream is like when we won. So whenever it's like a moment where I haven't really experienced, I'll probably try to give some emotion, show some emotion, and let it let it just come out. So, you know, tonight was one of those nights. I've never been in that situation before. And like you said, um, it's the first shot. Somebody hit a game winner in, NBA, in game seven. So I just showed emotion. <clears throat> and it was great. It was a great feeling. I'm just happy that we can move on to the next round. Boom! That was your boy Kawhi Leonard there. Was it? <laughs> yeah. Like an artificial intelligence. The there, robot. He's yeah. the robot there <laughs> talking after that crazy finish, uh, in Toronto to, uh, send them into the Eastern Conference Finals. It was a crazy game. We're going to break that down in just a second. Monster show. We'll get to a lot of NBA. We got a new head coach for the Cleveland Cavs. Yep. That shocked everybody. I don't think anybody saw that coming. And looking forward to maybe a little Game of Thrones recap at the end of the show, which we, I, I know Raja wants to lead the show with it, but it was a pretty epic game winner as you heard Kawhi there the first game seven buzzer beater in NBA season history right uh he also had 41 points he was 18 at 39 uh two for nine from the three-point line he was pretty incredible we had talked before uh last week about sometimes the lack of emotion and he actually addressed it there saying hey if there's ever time to be emotional it's now and he did after the game but then he went right back to calm cool um it was incredible it was incredible I think it was the most exciting game winner you've ever seen because usually they either go in or they don't. And right. for that to bounce four times and hang there on the rim and the whole stadium inside and out, they're watching it hanging by a thread. Yeah. And then they go berserk. It was incredible, man. It was fun to watch. The shot itself, like I think was I watching Kenny Kenny Smith said it was like every Every game-winning shot ever produced for like a movie. Yes. Which you, it would, it's like bouncing <laughs> around the rim. Everybody's waiting for it to go in. That was like Ollie yeah. from Hoosiers. Yeah, yeah. He had the right. big shot, like, the free throw, and it like bounced go, around eighteen go, times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. I, I, Kawhi's normal shot trajectory. If you watch him shoot the ball, super flat. I mean, it's almost like a line drive. There's very little margin for error with that. It's either going in or it's clanking. Because he had to shoot it over Joel Embiid. Yep. It was a very high arcing shot. Like it got to like the, its apex was 18 feet. That allows that ball to go in. I mean, we shouldn't really be talking about this, but I think it's interesting, right? Because if you shoot a flat shot and it hits the front of the rim, it's coming right back at you. Yep. But because he had a, a, a defender, he shoots it up, it catches the front rim, and it takes the most improbable bounce forward. Um, that was pretty interesting. But it, in terms of Kawhi, um, I, I didn't think he played great. He didn't, he didn't have a great game. Like he was. He was, His fourth quarter was absurd. Fourth quarter was phenomenal, but the game itself, he was, you know, he was he was inefficient. Um, he was shooting a lot of shots, and I think if I was reading it right, it was because no one else really wanted to shoot him. It looked like a lot of guys on Toronto, except maybe Serge Ibaka, kind of got a little tight. 
Um, so maybe Kawhi felt like he had to do it. But to be able to come out of that in the fourth quarter when your team needs you the most is what separates good from great. For sure. It's what separates. And you saw Philly struggle with it to some degree late in the game when they had a few possessions where you're looking for a guy. Who's the guy? And Philly had a bunch of guys that are, you know, they just, no one took the bull by the horns. When you're running an offensive set, Danny, minute to go, two minutes to go, down two. Coaches called the timeout specifically to get us, you know, in a play so that, because this is a critical uh, possession. If you're Philadelphia and you know you've made three passes and you've made, you know, two cuts or three cuts and that ball finds you, if you're a guy, you take one look at that, at that shot clock and you get into something. They had a bunch of guys just looking to get it to the next guy. Do you know what I mean? And, and Kawhi stood out as the opposite of that. Give me the ball. I got you. Yep. And that's what you have to have. You have to have a killer out there on the floor who wants it. Cause I, it's funny. You always talk about that situation and the guy that wants the ball in his hands versus the guy that doesn't. To your point on Philly, because they had three horrendous possessions in the fourth quarter, their last three. And I would argue the fourth wasn't that much better, but Joel Embiid got fouled and kind of a desperation. Right. Correct. With Correct. The ball in his hands. And to me, it almost looked like all three Four possessions were kind of the same drawn-up play, and Brett Brown has taken a lot of heat uh, as they coach for that. My question for you is, is that on Brett Brown, or is that on the Sixers themselves for just lack of execution and for letting the – it looked to me like the moment was getting to him. They were tight. They did not – want nobody wanted to shoot it. And then you have Joel Embiid out in the perimeter, like outside the three-point line, trying to dribble around and find something. Right. It just was off. They didn't get off three shots. They got the shot clock expiration. In fairness, I, the whole game was a bad offensive game, both teams. They, they, no one played great offensively. So I think everyone was a little tight. Role players um, for Toronto certainly didn't want any you know real part of it, except for the hustle plays. Um, you know, Kawhi did Kawhi things. The Sixers specifically, some of it has to fall on Brett Brown. There were way too many possessions. Again, it – Maybe this was what they decided as as a team was going to be best for them in this series, having Joel Embiid kind of on the perimeter. It, it bore real fruit in game what was at six in Philly. We were talking about it, the game where he didn't do a lot, but he just cleared the space. Right. But, but Ben Simmons was playing yeah. great. Jimmy, Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler played outside of the normal scope of Jimmy Butler. I mean, he's a great player, but he's not scoring to that degree every night. And so it looked good. It was the wrong answer last night. And for some reason, they were never able to really – Established. Joel Embiid is one of the best post players in the NBA. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, I'm this, that's not an understatement. He is one of the best players in the mid post or low block in the league. I don't know how many touches. I didn't break the film down, but my eyeball said he barely had any. Um, that's inexcusable from, from Coach Brown's perspective. You, you can't do that. But again, coach calls a play. At some point, someone, I played with enough guys. You're looking at that. I wasn't even that guy, but if I had a feel for the shot clock, if that thing got down to like six or seven and the ball was in my hands, I got to make a play. I can't just pass it to the next guy. Right. It was like they weren't aware that the shot clock was going down. It was complete. That's a look, man. That is a bunch of dudes looking for the other guy to do it. Yep. And you know you can't do that in in, in those situations. And and certainly if you're players of that magnitude, someone has to step up and say, "Everybody back! I got it." Get yep. out of the way. I got it. it the, the biggest shot that the Sixers hit, I thought, was J.J. Redick. When he got fouled, there was an and one there, and that was like the, that was the really only memorable shot that they hit in any of those possessions in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Other than that, it was pretty disastrous. J.J.'s really the only guy who, I mean, I don't know. Like, J.J. has a specific thing that he's going to do, right? Like, yep. you know what he's going to do. Like, of the rest of them, they're just kind of really good players, but there's, there's no definition to what they're going to do, right? A role. I mean, a, a definitive role. JJ's definitive role is run around, catch, and shoot. 
Right. Right. The rest of them are, are kind of playing on top of each other. Like they're almost overlapping skill sets to a degree where you get that confusion where like, you're going to do it. I'm going to do it. You're going to do it. I'm going to do it. Right. Um, and everybody kind of has to know their role and when they're going to get it. Cause it's okay if you're the guy out sitting at the three and you get it kicked out to you, then you have to know at that, like, this is my time to shine. It looked like they had no clue when it was their time to do whatever they were supposed to but do. This was part of the, the problem of bringing all of that talent together relatively late in the season when you, when you bring in Tobias Harris, even Jimmy came, came over, it was earlier in the season, but you don't, those are, that's chemistry. Mm-hmm. That's knowing, you know, your role unequivocally, what you're supposed to do, whose job it is to have the ball, how we're going to do this. And that bit him in the rear end at the, at the worst time, you know, possible. Yep. Uh, with Kawhi, there was a lot of conversation last week. Is Kawhi better than Kobe? And it was kind of ridiculous. Uh, then it was, all right, peak Kawhi versus peak Kobe. This definitely elevates Kawhi in the greater conversation of, clutch and all those you know uh legacy all those types of things because again first game seven buzzer beater ever yeah this is going to elevate him into that superstar stratosphere for sure if if he already wasn't there yeah well he's look he's uh, this is the third highest scoring seven game or the third highest scoring series of an nba player ever only behind kareem abdul jabbar and michael jordan and he's only three points behind michael jordan right so that in and of itself puts you in a very rare air um I would just say to the people that want to do the comparison between him and Kobe, it's just too early. Right. He clearly yeah. is a phenomenal player, um, the best two-way player in the NBA, and his legacy only grows the more he does this. Um, but don't don't do it yet. Like there's there's way too much left, hopefully, on Kawhi, Kawhi's career to really make that comparison. As a team, though, Toronto, um, they got to be better than that offensively. Mm-hmm. I don't mean Kawhi. Kawhi, you know, Kawhi, you're evolving. Right. You know what you're going to get with him. He's going to deliver. If he's got to shoot 30 to get 30, do it. But, you know, as a team, it can't, it looked like it just kind of devolved yesterday. Their offense just went away and it became give the ball to Kawhi. Um, and you're not going to be able to beat, uh, 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 Milwaukee who can put up 120 points doing that. That's not going to be the recipe. Uh, Michael Jordan over Craig Elo was the only other buzzer beater in an elimination game. This ranks right up there with that one. We still watch that. I mean, just the other day we had the anniversary of that shot and they had Elo all over the place giving interviews. This will go down as one of those great ones. Debo found the stat for you. Joel Embiid, 104 touches. Do you know how many were in the paint? Probably five. Three. Even less. That's which that's, is, that's criminal. Which is not that's it is that's uh, inexcusable. That's criminal. Which, which is why one of the reasons Brett Brown might take some heat. Uh, this, this but it's awesome. it's. Let's. Uh, I played with plenty of players. You know, I've told the story about Darren Williams on here before and Jerry. I played with plenty of players. That, uh, all right, coach says one thing. I'm out there in the fire. I know better. I shoot. I teach my 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 12 year old now. He turned 12. You're running the point. I'm calling a play, but I'm not out there. So if you see something different. Right. Do what you need to do. So yeah, Brett Brown probably, you know, needs to get him in the post. But Joel, you're you're a big boy. Yep. Like literally. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Go get on the block. Like yep. demand the ball. If you are the guy, get it. Command the double and let's go to work. And I didn't see that. No. So Joel Embiid uh was very emotional. Here's what he had to say after the game. I don't give a damn about the process. Um and no, I'm not tired. All right, I want to see more of that Joel Embiid. Uh, and we've talked a lot about him. I was not a big fan of Joel Embiid, his antics off the court, talking about injuries, the virus, everything, you know, talking trash to other players. When I saw him walking through the tunnel and he was crying, I was like, that's the kind of player I want to see. Somebody who cares. Yeah. And you put that next to Kyrie Irving, who's saying, who cares, looking forward to watching Milwaukee the next round. I would rather have a guy like that and Joel Embiid 
who is still upset about it, still steaming about it, who hopefully uses this as a growing opportunity. You don't care? You don't like it? You still don't like him? Didn't like seeing that man out there balling. Oh, but I, but I, come on. No, I liked it, man. He cares. I want to see guys who care. Yeah, look, man, you got a tear in your eye or something like that. You got <laughs> like getting consoled by the other team, man. Take that in the locker room, man. But I'm with, I'm with you. Um, I, I, I don't have any problem with it. All of us have cried yeah. when you lose a big enough game. Um, I just didn't like it out there in front of the other, like ball into the other team. Do you understand right. what I'm saying? Like you got right. Marcus Mark Soul trying him. to yeah, check in on him. Like, bro, you are you okay, bro? <laughs> like, I didn't love that. I'm not mad that he was crying. That's fine. Um, and I do, but I've said this before. How did he sound like <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, bro, come on with that. Um, <laughs> That's <laughs> pretty bad. All I'm trying aside. to give the guy props for showing some emotion out there. Hey, bro, You're just crushing him. All jokes aside, though, like I <laughs> here's the deal. Here's the deal. I, um, Coach Brown in his press conference said that when they asked about it, they said this 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 has to happen. This is part of Joel Embiid's process. Yep. If you forgive my like, it, right. it's part of his journey, right? Going through a failure like this, you know, um, getting. I think he used the word clarity. Um, about what it's going to take in this time of year, in these situations, for him and and his team to be successful, Joel Embiid has to go through this because he is a little immature, man. You can say what you want. He's fantastic. But the focus, and we talked about it in round one against Brooklyn, he didn't look laser-focused. Mm-hmm. He was concerning himself with too many other things. Still all over Twitter. And we said, well, he needs to, he needs to compartmentalize right now. He's got to streamline. Put the blinders on. Just be in the moment. And... As he grits older and he's in these situations more, he'll understand better how to do that. And also on the court, he'll, he'll probably go back and look at that film. If Joel, if Joel is, is, is as good as I think he is, um, he'll go back and look at that and be like, man, there were a lot of opportunities where I could have found myself closer to that rim. I could have gotten some easy buckets and he'll grow from that. So he, it sucks. Nobody likes to lose, but sometimes it's the best thing that can happen to you if you'll learn from it moving forward. He'll grow from it if, he approaches it the right way, which I think he will. Hopefully he does. He's young. He's got to yeah. mature. It's just his uh, fourth season we just finished. So uh, the owner, Josh Harris, uh, told Jackie McMullen in March, it could be very, quote, very problematic if they had an early playoff loss and exit. It would not be what we're playing for. We have enough talent on our roster that if we play the way we're capable of playing, we can beat any team in the East. GM Elton Brand said in April, my goal and expectation is to definitely get past where we got last year. We got to the second round. We lost to Boston. I expect us to get past that. Is that one of those ones where you just read the tea leaves and you could see that ownership and the front office expected something? Or yes. do you take away from it and say, we were four bounces away from getting to overtime, potentially winning that game? No. He's done? Um, you put all your chips in when you went out and you got Jimmy Butler. And then you doubled down on that when you went out and you got Tobias Harris and Mike Scott. You were expecting, from a purely expectation standpoint, from the ownership and front office, probably uh, NBA Finals. When you're looking around at the East, you see Boston struggle. You got a relatively unproven Milwaukee team. You have to feel very good if you can get through Toronto that you'll give Milwaukee, whether you will or not, that's the way you're feeling. Right. right? Um, they thought that they were going to be in the NBA Finals. And... I don't know what this means for personnel there or for Coach Brown, um, but they are disappointed to the umpteenth degree this morning because they felt like they were all in, man. They made moves. You know, they made big moves, big, big moves. Jimmy Butler's a big move. You're talking about having – that's a max guy. 
Then you're talking about Tobias Harris wanting, like, whether it's warranted or not. Like, big, big time money. I like Tobias Harris as a player. Yep. They've got some, some things to figure out. This was an all in moment. And if it's worth it and we win a title or we're close, maybe we keep it together. I don't know what they do now. Last year, our boy Debo, a resident, uh, Philly expert, skewered me for saying they should go get Jay Wright. Last year, he's like, no, 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 they're in great shape with Brett Brown. I think that's the first call you make. Feel him out. We just saw a college coach stolen from Michigan, which we're going to get to in a minute and, uh, yeah. line going to the Cavs. I'm calling Jay Wright. That thing is, if you're going to make a change, you better have something better in place, or at least something that's perceived better by free agents and by the league. Yeah, and that's the thing. When you just saw the Lakers fiasco of what they're trying to do, I mean, there aren't great coaches sitting on every corner. I would disagree with Jay Wright. You would only because they are in a win now mode, and Jay Wright hasn't done anything in the NBA. Right. You know, Beeline can kind of walk into the Cavs. You got a bunch of young guys. And you can be raised as a coach with the young guys, and like. That's not the the land that the the, the 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 that Philadelphia is in right now. They are in win now mode. So you got to bring in somebody who's proven it, you know, on the NBA level. In my opinion, whether it be in the head seat or or a really really good young assistant who's who's got the pedigree, um, I don't I don't know that you bring in, but right. they might. I mean, why right. not? Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. All right, welcome back to Kinell and Bell, hanging out here on a Monday. Just in case all of a sudden we go boop, like black, like just black screen and yeah. you lose us, yeah. there was a power outage in here just seconds ago yeah, and it freaked us out. out. Like I got these things in my ears. I'm yeah. like, thing, like <laughs> and all that. But just so you know, in case uh, something happens, that's where we went is just uh, out of power. Uh, maybe they'll get to pay that bill uh, this month. Um, the Blazers go into Denver. Really entertaining games. There were some great games over the weekend. Yeah. Uh, this one, we talked about Damian Lillard early in the season and some of the epic performances he had. This time it was CJ McCollum's turn as Dame Lillard was not that impressive. He struggled throughout the game, but CJ McCollum stepped up massively, 37 in this game and game six too, not to be overlooked when he had 30 in that one. Yeah. But an epic performance, including a 16 foot pull up jumper with 12.4 seconds left to put the Blazers up three. Which had a lot of people buzzing about analytics. LeBron tweeted out, that's exactly why I don't want to hear all that analytics talk. In playoff games, when it usually come down to one to two possession uh, games down the stretch, just get me buckets. The best shot during that possession. If it's a pull-up two, then so be it, because it was the best shot. I say amen. I think, I think sometimes we definitely get paralyzed by over-analysis. Sure. And people start worrying about where are my feet. And I totally agree with LeBron and anybody else who's saying, hey, take the best shot. Get buckets, bro. Yeah, absolutely. However you can get them. If your game is pull-up mid-range and, 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 and that's available because you put pressure, you know, at the rim a few times, which he did, going to the rack, caught a couple dunks, you're able to get into your step back. I'm with LeBron. Get buckets. Now, you're, you're talking to me over the course of, you know, 82 games, whether it's, whether the numbers bear out that it's worth it to shoot threes more so than mid-range. Okay. Right. But that's not that you don't play the game in that space all the time. I think they're all overreacting some because I would assume that if you ask Daryl Morey or any of the hardcore analytics, he's kind of the face of analytics somehow. But if you ask anybody, they would say the same thing. In that situation, you get the best you shot. You get the bucket. And I think what you just said makes the makes most sense. Like over the course of 82 games, Yes, why would you, if you're right there, take a half foot deeper, 
or a foot back so you can take the three. But in that situation, you just want to find where you you're are. trying to get a bucket. Yes. It's there's situations that, that call for, for, for just purely making a basketball play. And that's one of them. You can't really factor in any kind of analytics, but I'll take it a step further with James Harden. I don't love what the, what the analytics have done to his game. Mm-hmm. He used to be a three level scorer where he had to pull up from mid range. Um, and, and, and he could shoot the three and he could get to the basket. And now he only shoots threes or gets to the basket or hits a little floater from six feet. And what it does to a defender like me is I don't have to worry about anything between here and there. Yep. So I'm going to sit on that step back and they're getting harder and harder and harder to make. Do you know what I mean? And Absolutely. so I don't like the disappearance of mid range. I think you should have it in your game. If you're Mike Malone and the Denver Nuggets, are you, are you feeling good about this? I don't know how you won that game. Right. I don't know how you won the game. I mean, CJ McCullough went went off, but like if you if you're going to tell me that you're you're going into Denver um and you're only going to get 13 on 3 for 17 from Dame Lillard, your second leading scorer is going to be Myers Leonard off the bench who only played 6 minutes and 44 seconds. I, I say I'm I'm losing that game. Yeah. I'm going to lose that game. Now, you know, uh Jamal Murray didn't step up. Nikola Jokic did what he does, but Jamal Murray was 4 for 18 for for 17, but they, they had Gary Harris with 15. You had Paul Millsap with 10. I mean, I don't know how they lost. I don't know how they won the game. How do you explain what happened with, uh, Damian Lillard the last couple games of this series? Cause he was awesome early. We talked about him. He had a couple big, big shots early in the series. What, what happened to him versus Denver? Cause he was awesome versus OKC and then he, you know, dropped off. He was 33 points a game in that series against the Thunder uh, against only 25 in this one. And this one was a, especially in a game seven. Right. To see him disappear the way he did. Is this just part of the, you know, the process to steal from what they were talking about Joel Embiid or is this, I mean, it, what, do you, are you concerned about this? I'm not really concerned. I, I know that. I know that he's going to score the ball in the next series. I think those matchups were, for one reason or another, he did not like the Gary Harris. Um, what was the other kid they had on him? Um, um, you know, Malik Beasley at times. Um, who was who, uh, Monte Morris played him a little bit. Torrey Craig was giving him fits. They're bigger, more physical guards that can still be up and underneath him. It's something about that matchup he didn't like. Um, it is a really, really, you know, nice luxury to have. When, when CJ McCollum can just go out there and win a game for you by himself and he's your number two mm-hmm. and he just took that over. Like he is, he is as good a ISO player as there is in the NBA right now. He just gets buckets. And so it's great luxury for Portland to have. And then this next matchup, I mean, I don't know when Kevin Durant's coming back, but you're having two of the better backcourts in the NBA going at it. Steph and Clay and CJ and Dame, like it should be electric. You think? It should be. I mean, from a from a guard from yeah, a guard play but perspective. But I think Golden State's going to roll them. I think in five. Yeah, I no, think they I, might have a game where they don't show up and they kind of get lazy, like they sort of do, even without Kevin Durant. Right. I just think I just I just think they're significantly a better team. I wouldn't look. I, here's what I'm not going to do anymore. I'm not going to write Portland off anymore. Yeah. I wrote them off to lose to Oklahoma City Thunder. I I I didn't really know what was going to happen in the Denver series, but I figured going back to Denver, game seven at home, Denver would win it. Your best player doesn't show up and, and get anything done and you still figure out a way to win it. I can't write you off anymore. My heart says Golden State beats them. Um, but those two dudes, again, when, uh, and this was just talking about backcourt initially, that's Doesn't this fall player. into the, doesn't this fall into the, like, cause what we've talked about here a little bit is, hey, if you're going to beat Golden State, it's best to try to do it with bully ball or to try to rough them up a little bit as opposed to trying to beat them at their game. Isn't that what, Portland's going to bring is just a it's a good version but nobody's going to do it better than the Warriors you know what I mean yeah like I mean, they're they're to, to some degree um 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah. It's I hope to... it's awesome. Like, I, I love I, watching these game sevens over the weekend. It was entertaining. It was awesome. Came down to the wire. I hope we see that. That'd be that'd be fantastic. Damian Lillard, have you ever? I wish we they were two that. and two in the regular season. I know. Damian Lillard likes playing Steph Curry. He does. Yeah, Damian Lillard is one of those dudes where, okay, he didn't play great in this series. I don't think Jamal Murray is threatening Damian Lillard for like <laughs> crown of who the NBA's best point guard is. Right. Whether Dame is threatening Steph Curry or anybody. That's a debate for us, but in his mind, he he is better than than Steph Curry and all of those guys. I'm not saying that he is, but that's the way he's going to approach that matchup. And I've watched those games a few times, especially coming out of like All Star breaks when Damian Lillard used to get snubbed, uh, and Steph was the rage of the town, and Dame cooks him like he goes after him. So I do think you're going to see some some uh, some real like fireworks in this series offensively. I hope so. Uh Kevin Durant probably won't play in at least the first few games of the series. Who knows when he's coming back? That's going to be. We're gonna be talking about this day to day. See what he see what's going on there. You know, you don't think he comes back? If Kevin Durant's not playing. I'm telling you. And you think bro, it gets interesting? I'm telling you, man. I, I think the best thing that happened to the Warriors was getting Steph to have the fourth quarter that he had against Houston. Right. Because he did look a little bit lost, and he was taking a lot of his criticism. Then you got back the vintage Steph that was the MVP that just caught fire. You had Clay Thompson who had the first half, which was insane. Um, but I think they're going to be, I mean, I don't even know if confidence is ever an issue with Steph Curry, but seeing the ball go through the bucket that many times and to feel that clutch, I think they're going to be playing with a lot of confidence. I'm not worried about them too. Right. Those two are going to be fine. You, you got performances from, from people on that bench in the, in the Houston game that I worry about duplicating, right? Can yeah. Sean Livingston give you the 11 that he got? Um, is Jonas Urebko going to be as good as he was? Um, is Kevon Looney going to do what Kevon Looney did in game? I don't trust that all of those guys are going to keep doing that. <laughs> right. And they're really thin, um, you know, in, in terms of, of firepower coming off the bench. I've always maintained that Steph Curry, for all of those that said Steph, Steph has been playing out of his normal role for Golden State for like, what, two, three years now? Mm-hmm. He's been basically, it's, it's gotten worse as, as Kevin Durant's gotten better. Right. Right. Cause when he first came over, it was a lot of, woo, 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 we're going to play the way we've always played. But Kevin Durant's brilliant with the ball. So it's it's morphed more into like we're going to stand around and watch Kevin Durant go. As soon as you subtracted him, and I'm not making the argument that they're better without him, I'm simply saying that those guys get back to their normal roles in the way they normally play when he's not there. So all of those guys are going to look better, that the stars, that is, uh, for Golden State. To your point about Dame Lillard like playing against – he likes playing against Steph Curry – uh, in 20 games, 20 career games versus Steph Curry, he's averaging 27. He shoots 20 times a game, 42.7% from the three-point line. Yeah, it's gonna, I'm <laughs> telling you, they're going to go at it. But the bad news is he's 0-6 versus Steph in the playoffs. Yeah, they're going to go at it. <laughs> but no, yeah. no, I mean, they're going to – I'm with you in that the, the, the Golden State should win the series. I'm just saying, if Kevin Durant is out for an extended period of time and you're trusting – no shade. I'm, I'm not throwing any shade. But if you're trusting that bench to come out and duplicate what it did against Houston, Golden State's bench, uh, that's a roll of dice. By the way, can we get you to do a better job of uh, texting us back when I ask you for a betting advice, gambling what, advice? Because I, I asked you yes, I asked you yesterday what because I sent the whole little screen grab yeah. of all the players in the Sixers Toronto game. You were yeah, a wall for like five hours in the gym, and then you know what I ended up doing? I took Joel Embiid. It was a fun bet. Yeah, because I like when you get a compilation. Because if his point total was twenty and a half, which he did go over. Yep. But I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm not too confident in that one. Right. So I took his point total plus his assist plus his rebounds, and it was set at 35 and a half. Right. And it, like, a minute left in the game, he was at 34 and a half. Yep. And I was like, oh, I'm done. I'm not going to get this. Did he get a board? 
He no, he got fouled. Remember, he had the two big free throws. Oh, so he, he hit them both. Over. And that put him over, and yeah. then it was like twelve seconds left, and then went the other way, yeah. and uh, Kawhi hit the game. So yeah, it was a good winner for winner, me. Even winner without even without your help on that yeah. one. <laughs> All right, welcome back to Kinell and Bell, hanging out, talking a little NBA, ton of NBA in this show as we had a bunch of incredible Game 7s over the weekend. We actually have, I don't know, well, I'm curious to hear your take, positive news, I guess, out of uh, Hollywood as the L.A. Lakers have found their head coach after a lengthy search with a little bit of some hiccups in between. But they decided to go with Frank Vogel, who was not on that list of three that we uh, mentioned last you week. You just see what I just did? No, what did you do? So one of my friends is a, uh, a season ticket holder in L.A. Yeah. Apparently they all got votes for the coach, so I just texted in my vote. <laughs> you did. Well, I think that's the way they hired him. I think that's what happened. They just, anybody, text, just texted my vote in. Anybody who's ever had anything to do I did with not him. vote for Frank Vogel. <laughs> that would not have been your vote. Nope. Uh, they had the protesters out front on Friday, which was kind of a joke. They were like 50. Most of them looked like high school kids. They did it for attention. But it made news everywhere. Everybody was talking about it. So they actually do hire Frank Vogel. You think this – I would put it somewhere. I think it's a safe hire. How's that? It's fine. Like, I don't think it's exciting. I don't think it's a risk. I think it's safe. And that's that's the most you can say about it. <laughs> and that's all you can say about I it. I don't even know what to say. about. I, what am I supposed to say? There was only one. Look, there's nothing wrong with Coach Frank Vogel. Except. Ooh, he did get a three-year deal. Yeah. Except he's lost to LeBron every time he's played him in a playoff series, right? <laughs> and you're already dealing with a dude. You're dealing with a dude who can be very difficult to manage and has trust issues, that being LeBron. He has trust issues when it comes to coaches for one reason or another. There, there, there has to be some equity there, either having been a player where he can look at you and, and, and say, okay, I respect what you did or the way you competed against me or what your resume was as a player or past success as a coach where you already have a, a cachet about yourself and he has to say, all right, You've done this before without me, so maybe I'll trust, you know, where you're going to guide me. He's got none of it. You don't think he could sell it as he had pretty good teams in Indiana? You just that lost past me to us. But but still, but you know what I'm saying? You like, can sell whatever you want, whether he's buying it or not is is the question, right? And right. and look, he they, has to buy in at this point, doesn't he? No. What's he going to do? Sulk? I don't know. Like at this point, he's, he don't, he's running out of time. I've told you about the conversation that I had with LeBron when we had David Blatt and you would have said the same thing. Like got to buy in, right? I had to ask him if his team would play for David Blatt so that us as a front office in Cleveland could make a determination as to whether or not David Blatt was a good coach. And only once they started playing hard for him could we do it. Here's, and, here's a list of, of LeBron James cuts. You had Mike Brown, uh, with Cleveland. Eric Spolstra, Ty Lue, Paul Salas, David Blatt, Luke Walton, Brendan Malone, and Frank Vogel. Out of those, I would say Eric Spolstra didn't have a lot of cachet. I mean, he was a new coach, but he had Pat Riley over his... Like, yeah, Pat Riley, yes. Yeah, like, Pat, he was the enforcer. Correct, correct. He was going to tell him what to do. He had the relationship with Ty Lue. And he didn't love Eric Spolstra. No, clearly but, but not. He, but he had D Dwayne Wade, right, and he had, he had the, the best third option ever in... in um, Chris Bosh. Chris Bosh. Like, you... you you know, you were so talented, you were going to get it done. And they came dangerously close to not getting it done twice. I mean, they did, they failed the first time. And you're talking about a Ray Allen jump shot away for not having done it, you know, the next time. It's not like it was all roses there. This may work out great. You know what? I'm just happy that uh, Linda Rambis signed off on it. Uh, that makes me feel a lot better about it. Yeah, because yeah. I think she was, she was the she voice that was deciding factor. Apparently, I think yeah. so. Uh, Phil Jackson, obviously, still he's involved in the process as well as Kurt Rambis, too, uh, as you were alluding to, everybody that's ever played for. 
The other thing which was talked about in the potential hire of Ty Lu was that Jason Kidd was going to be a part of the staff. Frank Vogel is given Jason Kidd again. Apparently, the word is that the Lakers like the idea of Jason Kidd working with Lonzo Ball. Buy into that at all, or is just it just it seems like this is a, a bad high school team. It's the way they're hiring people this is really stupid. You're talking about the biggest brand possibly in sports. Yes, and this is the way you conduct yourself. Like I and. I don't mean to Lakers bash, but this is a this is a mess. Give him the job then. If he's gotta be there. That was my question. If he's gotta be there, give him the damn job. I saw some reports that the reason they didn't was because Jason Kidd had some issues off the court, uh, domestic violence stuff, and so they were worried about the PR backlash if they would have hired him as a head coach, they want him as an assistant. So you can have all of that and be the assistant, but right. you can't be the head. Exactly. And I guess maybe it makes it easier to get rid of Frank Vogel down the road, and then you can just bump up Jason Kidd. Well, if I'm Again, Frank Vogel, all of it seems dysfunctional. That's where I'm at. And what... And I'm not, I don't know that Jason Kidd is this type of dude, but I do know that Jason, Jason Kidd wanted the head job there, mm -hmm. right? I don't really have a relationship with Jason Kidd if I'm Frank Vogel. They've never really worked together. There's, there's no real trust there. Now, we might be cool enough in circles to say what's up and talk, you know, tr trades, you know, secrets uh, yeah. uh, about, there's you know, a role play or something yeah. like that, but there's no real trust. Like, I don't think they're buddy buddies. So what happens when things get rough? You know, LeBron and I are sideways, which is, which could happen, you know, and, and I'm trying to get LeBron to trust me, which also could happen, but it might take some time. And I'm looking over out of the corner of my eye and there you go as Jason Kidd got LeBron's ear. You guys are over there laughing and giggling and having a good time. Like what, what you know what I mean? How does that, now I'm Frank Vogel like this, like, you know, I wish they shouldn't have, you know, tied me to damn Jason Kidd. This, they knew this was going to, I mean, it just, it is a mess. Could have all been avoided. Um, and you took, Danny, if I told you, you got three, you got three years with LeBron. We have a chance to win a championship. We're going to go all in. What it's going to cost you, right? To get this championship is two extra years of a coach that you might not want after LeBron leaves, mm -hmm. but you're going to have to do that to get the championship. Would you do it? Yeah. Everybody would. Yeah. All right. You get the coach, you fit. We're going to win the championship yep. potentially, but as good a chance as anyone can have. Right. Right. But to do that, you're going to have to live with the dude that you may not want, you know, for two extra years. Right. Everybody's going to do that. And that's how that deal fell apart with T-Lou. Right. I think it's stupid. Right. It is stupid. And you know what? If they win, it'll work. And everybody say they're great. If it doesn't, I think it'll be ugly. Like, there's not going to be an in-between, like, hey, they're okay. I think the drama will continue, just like it did this season. I think you're going to see LeBron passively, aggressively, you know, voice his opinion over this. If it doesn't work out. If it's going great and they, let's say, but how is this going to be attractive to somebody that's a potential? How is this if you're trying to lure in Kawhi Leonard or Kyrie Irving or who else? How is it going to be attractive, this situation? Here's what I, I don't say. think it is. I don't know that it is either, but none of it matters if you get the right guys. If you get the right guys to come, the coach isn't really going to matter. Right. Like I can sit here and tell you how stupid it was and all of that, but whether it was T. Lou or Frank Vogel or you, like if you get the right guys in there, they're, they're going to, they're probably going to win, you so, know? So speaking of the right guys, Kyrie Irving and LeBron had a falling out. Then Kyrie calls him up, supposedly mends the fences. Uh, Brian Windhorst, who has been LeBron's insider, uh, for the majority of his career, uh, usually knows the details of everything about LeBron pretty well, said, I would have said, talking about Kyrie and LeBron reuniting, I would have said it's impossible for many months. Uh, I think that door, which has, was dead bolted, has been undead bolted and has now been cracked open. It might even be an opening more day by day. 
And I say just, I say that just because I think it's on Kyrie's radar. It's on Kyrie's board. He has had discussions with people about playing for the Lakers. Is this like, is this going to happen? It feels like it. I don't know that it's not going back to Boston. I, I think it's a good look for Kyrie. I think there's familiarity there. Um, there, there's, there's real history in terms of winning championships there. And I think that Kyrie got out into this world of, of, of NBA basketball wanting to be his own man, so to speak, and realized that, you know, it ain't all that it's cracked up to be sometimes. You know, it, it wasn't that LeBron wasn't letting you be your own man. LeBron was letting you close the game. You were closing games. Like you guys were doing it together, but LeBron took all the heat. Like he, he provided the shelter for you from a lot of the criticism and a lot of the stuff that allowed you to just, you know, operate in this space of just being a really, really good player and not having to answer for the success or lack thereof of the team. And then you get out into the world and you're like, man, this ain't always cracked up to be, bro. Everything is my fault. <laughs> right. You, no matter what, it's my fault. And so I think that he may crave that shelter again. He may want to come back and not to mention their games really did work well together. There, there was an ability for. Bron to do his thing, um, and Kyrie to still be the player that he is. They both have isocentric games. So it's not like you're dropping Kyrie into a situation with Boston where they don't want to play iso ball and he's ruining the flow of it. Or like you're bringing LeBron, um, uh, uh you know, they, they have complementary skill sets to some degree. So I think it could work. I don't know where Kyrie's head is at, but I do know that he probably has regretted, um, to some degree, uh, the decision that he made to leave what, what they had rolling there in Cleveland. So, uh, there's definitely a unique aspect to playing with LeBron. It brings more pressure on you all the time on the court. He's going to have really high expectations of you, but there is an advantage and it's exactly what you're talking about because LeBron is the quarterback. Like the quarterback always takes too much credit and too much of the blame. And when you're at the locker after the game, the scrum of media people are all going to be about LeBron. Then they'll come to you if there's a little bit left over. They need to get a sound bite. But the one that they're playing on every news outlet across yeah. the country is LeBron, as opposed to when you say, who cares? Uh, I'm going to enjoy watching Milwaukee the next series. Then it's on you. Then the reaction is to what you said. Right. Everything is on you. And some guys can thrive in that. Some guys can't. So that's why I think it might actually happen. Yeah, it could. And it could be fun. It could be interesting because I think that would be really interesting the, for the Lakers. The question for me would be, so you have Kyrie and you have LeBron. What's the other piece? Cause that's not enough. Right. That's not, you, you're going to need another piece and what that becomes. And if it's, you know, what if, if it's they could get boogie, I mean, it's an interesting like matchup personality wise. And, but I mean, yeah, get a big in there. Yeah, it could be. Uh, I think you're going to need a floor spacing kind of player. You're going to need a, not, not so much a big, more a, like Clay. Big wing type of player, big, long, rangy wing or knockdown shooter, two guard. You're going to need something to keep, you know, because LeBron needs space. Like we know LeBron needs shooters. Um, you know, Kyrie could use shooters too because he's so good off the bounce. And that's, that's at the end of the day what they wound up doing in, in, in Cleveland towards the end. Yep. So it was a lot of shooters on the floor and those two guys just kind of doing what they do going downhill. Yep. Uh, it's going to be interesting, uh, no doubt to watch to see how that plays out, uh, down the road. All right. Oh my goodness. What? Welcome back to Canelo Bell. During the break, we were talking some shoes and I just saw these new Jordan 11 low golf shoes, so like mad. the ones that I have in so white. I'm so mad. They got them all black with red bottoms, altered OG form. Oh God. These are pretty tight. I got to hit Brooks Kepka and see if he can come through with one more pair. When we are up at Beth Page Black, cause we will be leaving there. I'm going out tonight. Raja's going to be up there tomorrow night. Uh, we'll be there live Wednesday, Thursday, Friday on Long Island, hanging out, hopefully getting some big time guests.
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll have to see who we get on there. But we're going to be from the course. It should be a lot of fun. A lot of golf is uh, the PGA Championships taking place up there. So we're really looking forward to that trip. Uh, before that, John Beeline. We're after is, that. Or, uh, after that, yeah. yeah. John Beeline is the brand new head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. We said Frank Vogel got three-year deal that Ty Lue did not like. Uh, John Beeline gets the five-year Ooh. deal. This one caught everybody off guard. It was like, wait a second. He had a great gig at Michigan, had a lot of success there in the 12 years he was there, two Final Fours, two national championship appearances. Uh, he's 66 years old. Why at this point would either side want this to happen? As Cleveland was awful last year. Is this a play for Zion Williamson, hoping you're getting the number one pick? Is this, I want to coach in the NBA, uh, you know, want a chance there? What is this about? All right, first, can I, before I do that, for yeah. everyone who said that Ty Lue was like crazy, they gave John Beeline. Right. <laughs> exactly. Just came out of college. No resume. That guy's won NBA championships and has been an NBA coach. Should have given him the five year deal. Again, I don't mean to throw the Lakers under the bus, but that's just stupid. But they did give Frank Vogel the three year deal. So they, they did, I guess, have a principle. They weren't going to give out five year deals. I don't know why, but still stupid. Yes. Um, all right. So John Beeline, the backstory here. First of all, he's a really good coach. He's had a lot of success wherever he's gone. He's been successful. Um, he's great at Michigan. I, I can't speak to why he would want to leave. His situation in Michigan, other than maybe you just always wanted to see if you could do it at the NBA level, and you know we'll we'll, we'll find out. So that might be why he left. Uh, the Cavs are in an interesting situation because they're going to be really young. I know they still have Kevin Love, but they've got this young roster. They're gonna pro- they're gonna get younger. Um, so bringing in a guy who speaks the language of some of these kids who are probably supposed to only just be sophomores and juniors in college might not be the worst idea, right? You get a free kind of look at, at Coach Beeline to see if. If he can do it, it you're ain't not, free for five years. Yeah, but you ain't trying to win right now. Right. Like you're just trying to have these kids grow and in, in, I don't know what your time frame to win looks like, but it's certainly not right now. So you'll get to watch him kind of grow with the players. Their assistant general manager, his name is, uh, Mike Ganzi, really good dude. He played for Coach Beeline at West Virginia. That's all you need to know, right? Like that's how about he's this always thing? loved. Coach John Beeline. John Beeline was right around the corner in Ann Arbor. That's not far from Cleveland. Yep. He's had a whole lot of success. You got a young team. One, two, three, A, B, C. I got another one. I got D, E, F for you. Oh. Because John Beeline, head coach of Michigan. You know yeah. where Dan Gilbert went to Michigan. School? Michigan State. Michigan State? Even worse, because now he can steal Michigan's guy from right out from under him. So he he deals a blow to Michigan by taking their coach who's been there a long time. Like that a little, too. I know, Dan that's Gilbert's what I'm like saying. That. I think so his, get business, your boy I think his business to, partner's kids go to Michigan, though. Right. Like, I do. I but think, see, that's where you get the, that's where you float this idea if you're a boy Gansey. Yeah. Hey, what do you think of John Beeline? He's like, wait a second, he's Michigan's coach. I can steal him from there and mm. take him away from there. Now that's they great. have to go find a new coach. That's great. He gets him in there. I also think, and I'd be curious to know this, John Beeline, six, six years old, Old school, been around college basketball a, lot, a long, long, long time. We've seen college basketball sh- take a major shift in attitudes of players, recruiting. We've seen scandals that go on. We've got guys transferring every other year, you know, all over the place. Maybe he's tired of the college game, like having to worry about, hey, if I get caught, if some booster or somebody gives a kid 10 yeah. grand, I could be, you know, I could potentially lose my legacy and my reputation. So why do I want to deal with this anymore? I can go bounce and make a ton of money at the next level. Right. Why not? Why not? Um, 66, you're getting, I mean, I, I don't know how long he wants to coach, but a lot of these guys, college might not, like, why not? Like, you want to try right. the pros? Like, yeah. The pros are the pros, man. Like, right. if I'm going to have, I don't know, seven, eight years left in a career at the college level, I could take five of them and go to the pros. You know what I mean? Like it's the allure um, is there. Plus, I think it's a safe environment for him. I think it's safe. They're right. not expecting you to be dropping in there 
um, or to be dropped in there and to win, you know, 40 games next year. They're not looking at that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting too. Brian Windhorst reported that he thinks we're all going to be shocked by the massive deal that Beeline was most likely offered, which speaks to, hey, why would he leave Michigan? Well, money talks. And if it was that big of a deal, then maybe it was a no-brainer for him and not much risk at all. And to your fact, the younger players, because I think it would be tough to have a guy who's never coached in the NBA to go with a bunch of vets, guys who have been around, like looking at him sideways, like, come on, bro. Like, right. this, ain't, this ain't college it anymore. It doesn't work out well. Right. So now you've got some younger players. Kevin Love seems like a guy who would be able to help him. Like, he almost be the, the guy that can help the coach. You know, yes. learn the ropes and right. give him like how I don't how know to if do Kev's it. built like that, but he might be. Right, but I mean, he could bounce ideas off him whatever. If Beeline goes to him and does it, the lottery is tomorrow night. We saw some of those percentages. They have a 14% chance of landing Zion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. No, uh, no doubt about it. All right, finishing off the show. We got three minutes left. Game of Thrones. Your thoughts on last night's episode? Go. Whack. Just, dude, I mean, look, the cinematography was great. Yep. Like, um, there were some really cool scenes in that, like seeing that dragon tear up. You know, Westeros like that. I mean, that that's that was nuts and, and and everything. But generally speaking, this whole last season has left me wanting. Like, I'm just disappointed. And I I get that my expectations are really high. It's my favorite show of all time. It I, is. I just feel like it's been very, very, very mailed in. You so know what I mean? I am a Game of Thrones watcher. Yeah. I am a mild fan. I wouldn't say it's the best ever, although I could understand if you say that. I think it's up there with some of the best, you know, most epic shows of all time. I think it's been okay, but I think the, I think last season was okay. Like right. there, when I'm watching a show and I'm struggling to stay awake yeah. and I'm like falling asleep, nodding off because yeah. it's just getting a little bit long and I'm like, what's happened? There's nothing good happening. I'll always say the Red Wedding was one of the best episodes of any show you've ever seen because of the shock value, because of the surprises you saw and right. the main characters that you saw killed off. And that's been everybody's biggest gripe about this season. You had the massive battle, the other, uh, the, the, what was it? The battle winner? What was the episode called? Battle Winterfell? I don't know. And you didn't have any shock uh, value as far as meaningful characters die. This one felt very predictable when, you know, you saw Daenerys go off and she's torching everybody. It was like, oh yeah, she's slowly been getting crazy. Correct. You see her and Jon Snow, the fallout coming. And it almost feels predictable. It's now. predictable. That's the word. That's, yeah. That's the word that bothers me. And every, that show's been anything but predictable. It's what hooked me like early. Cause I'm not a big dragon. Like I didn't read the books. I'm right. not really into sci-fi, but this show got me early. And I was, the reason it got me was because stuff that you did not think could happen and a show continue happened. And right. You're like, what? And, and if you're going to have Cersei go down, one of the biggest villains on the show and her and her brother, Jamie oh. Lannister, just, Go down like that, just buried in the rocks. I wanted to see some face-to-face revenge factor on her. She deserved an epic, the worst. epic death. Yes. That should have been like TV history with, with, with her, her dying. And I just, I don't love it. I don't love it at all. I gotta be honest. And now, I mean, I know there's one episode left, but. One episode left. They better come strong. And I don't even know where you go. Like, I don't, you got so much to wrap up in, in one, you know, an hour and 20 minutes. I don't even Sansa know where you go. Stark is going to be sitting on the iron throw. That's been my prediction for a few weeks now. I'm sticking does with Daenerys, it. Does, does, uh, does she, does Daenerys die? Yeah. Who she kills definitely her? Definitely does. I think Jon Snow does. I think that will be a twist because they love each other. They, but now they find out that it's his aunt. I think you've seen the falling out. And I think you saw how ticked he was that he should destroy. You know what I thought would have been dope? What? If he was in like that battle scene, you saw how the dragon reacted to him that one time. Yes. Like nobody else knows that he's whatever. Yep. If she had been flying around torching the, the city and he just screamed at the dragon, <laughs> right? And the dragon just stopped and like and listened to and him. Listened to him, and everybody would have been like, "What the hell?" Like there were so many things you could have done with that episode. <laughs> right. All right, that's our Game of Thrones recap.